Thanks for listening to the Roman Circus Podcast, a weekly dive into death-defying discussions of Catholic culture, tradition, and history. I'm Matt Baker, and with me, as always, is the man who puts the man in manger, Zach Mabry. Zach, how are you, my friend? Uh, you know, I'm uh, away in a manger. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, really, I try to do these live reactions to these intros, and they normally don't pan out, but here we are. Yeah, well... My intros normally don't pan out. Yes. Uh, if you would like to pan out, you can email us and let us know at podcast at romancircusblog.com. We're on Twitter at RomanCircusPod. I'm at Hey, it's Matt Baker. Zach is at Z-A-C, Z- Zach Mabry, Z-A-C Mabry. We're on Patreon, patreon.com slash RomanCircusPod. You can find us wherever podcasts are, including Spotify now crazy you know they said it couldn't be done but we just keep proving them wrong week after week proving them wrong uh speaking of that that's uh what's going on this week what's going on in the news what's going on in your life well I, uh, i i've been listening to the new machine gun kelly album okay i liked it i don't did you ever did you ever listen to old old machine no, Gun Kelly. No, it, is he called Machine Gun because he raps like he sound like he sounds like a machine gun? No, he's not a white rapper anymore. Now he does um, pop punk or whatever it's called. So he doesn't do he doesn't do rap anymore. He does. Okay, I told you I'm not a rapper anymore. Okay, okay. is that from something? Uh, like Scary Movie Three, maybe. Rap schmap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. See, you still got it. So you're listening to... I I thought it was good. That is good. Okay. Also, uh, as a cultural update, I saw the movie The Last Shift. Okay. Um, It was, like, bone-crushingly depressing. Okay. Um, But fairly probably accurate of, of like, the state of affairs for millions and millions of people. It's about a guy who... um, He's retiring from his job, and he's mm-hmm. for 38 years worked the graveyard shift at a fast food restaurant called Oscars. Oscars, got it. And his mom's been put in a, a old folks home, mm-hmm. and he so he's been saving up his money from his his shifts, uh, and he's planning to retire and go uh, pick up his mom down in Florida. He lives in Michigan, uh, and move into an apartment with her so that she doesn't have to be in an old folks home. Okay. And then he's training his replacement. Ooh. Uh, a future that we all fear, Zach. I, one day I'm going to look up and I will have been, tr- you know, training my replacement on the podcast. Yeah. When it's like, there's kind of a racial conflict in the movie. His replacement's like this black kid who's on probation. Okay. Um, and it's, Sad, I guess it's sad because like both of them are sort of getting a raw deal from life. Um, you know the the older gentleman. You know he makes I don't know I I don't even know how to like engage with it other than to say it seems very accurate and um, people should see it and it, it's I guess it it just affirms my sort of view that like one of the big functions of of like racism and racialized thinking mm-hmm. is to um prevent solidarity among like 
people you know of the middle and working classes right okay um and so you know if they're suspicious of suspicious of each other because of you know racial animosity then you know they they continue to see each other as the um the enemy and they kind of blame their problems on that while you know ultimately there's uh you know lots of other there's their circumstances are more impacted from you know people higher than like the capital class basically i mean not to get you know go all marxist or whatever on the podcast but basically that you know they're kind of getting screwed um but they're blaming each other for their problems in the movie and like that helps to keep um you know sort of the the capital owning class takes on top focus away from their uh you know common enemy for lack of a better phrase yeah because like this guy i mean my guess is is that most of the time when you see like especially neoliberals um you yeah not to use the n-word so early in the podcast but uh Mm -hmm. when you see them talk about fascists like what they're like if you probe that for a few minutes you realize they're referring to people like this guy who's um you know made sandwiches for 38 years and is saving up his money to move his mom out of an apartment or move his mom into an apartment kind of thing like it's it's like oh you know it's not um, anybody with any agency or anybody that's actually hurting anyone. It's just people that, you know, are sort of there. Mm-hmm. And they then just have um, slightly different thoughts from you regarding certain issues. Yeah. And, you know, they're not, I mean, and the things that would improve their life would be, you know, huge structural changes um, you know, to benefit people further down the ladder. And so it's it's sort of easier to just say, oh, well, those people are fascists and this mm-hmm. and the other. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, and you kind of see there's, uh, like in the movie, the black characters and the white characters, like you sort of see they don't un- understand or have any like appreciation for each other's struggles. They kind of blame each other for their problems. And it's like, you know, you guys are, all pretty much victims here like Mm -hmm. and you're not victims of each other um but they see it that way Mm. and i think that's pretty much that's pretty widespread Mm -hmm. and so and i mean i don't know i think that like one of the reasons that a lot of racialized narratives got more popular in the 20th century um was you know as sort of a, a backlash against the labor movement and to you know make sure that basically the people at the bottom have to stay fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're doing that, fighting over noticing. the crumbs, Zach, right? I mean, basically that's the case though. I mean, if they do that, they don't see that after inflation, they make less every year and their pensions are gone and they don't have health. I mean, they just don't really, they're too busy being suspicious of of one another while, you know, they're basically being robbed blind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, there's just something, uh, endearing to me about like somebody who's, worked 38 years at a fast food place and like takes their job so seriously, but then everybody else just kind of dumps on it. So that always like gets to me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I hear you know, he, he talks about all the times they've run out of ingredients and he's had to improvise and he saved the day and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, that's uh kind of stuff. Most people just sort of dismiss and laugh off. And they're like, couldn't we just, you know, automate these jobs? Um, and then, you know, they, when he's talking about why he wants to get his mom out of the old folks' home, he's like, she's the reason I am where I am today. And you're like, 
and you kind of see everyone else in the thing laugh because they're like bro you like literally have worked fast food for 38 years mm-hmm. but like he he gets up and he does his job and he does his work and so that kind of stuff always you know gets to me that was your soul crushing movie of the week review by I Zach know, but Lieber. everyone needs to see it it's just one of those things i do think people should and i guess internet people didn't like the ending but i, I think that it ended exactly how it should and i'm interested in seeing more about how the movie came to be because it premiered at sundance um in january and then it's just been out in theaters uh this month so okay go see it unless the china virus is keeping your uh movie theaters closed ladies and gentlemen man that was tongue-in-cheek by the way yeah calling it the china virus (laughs) topical with the debate tonight which we are not going to talk about no are you going to watch yeah i'll watch so i'm torn because i think that i'm supposed to watch it so that i can have funny takes Mm mm-hmm but I've reached the point in the election. Like, I really don't like um, feeling manipulated. I don't know if that's the term. Mm-hmm. Somebody else was talking about this, too. And I was like, yes, exactly. But basically, you know, these, like, this is the most important election ever. And, like, this is that. That's... You must vote in it. And, yeah, like, yeah. I, I'm i like, I do not. You actually don't have to vote. No. And I, it's not the most. Im- I mean, it, it just isn't. There are the way that you cast your ballot in November is not of any consequence. Um, you heard it here folks. And the, wait, 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 let me get the disclaimer in the thoughts and views of Zach Mabry do not reflect. Okay. Anyway, continue. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm comfortable saying it's of no consequence to your soul or otherwise. Um, but maybe people can disagree with me on that, but I, I really don't like the sort of, you know, you have to do this because, person xyz is like i don't like i i I don't i don't like the emo i don't like to feel maneuvered um and that's where you get to the point in any campaign where it's like okay so both sides are gonna like aggressively you know for reasons that are understandable sell you and I, i start to get really like i have to be in the right mood to consume that kind of stuff that was our segment. Uh, Sorry, guys. I know we're trying about, to like not where even we go don't there. talk about the election, where we talk about or the debate, where we talk about the debate. Uh, moving <laughs> Sorry, on, guys. let's let's find out what was interesting on Twitter in this week's Summa Tweetologica. Anyway, Summa Tweetologica. <laughs> Summa Tweetologica. Did you do? Wow, wow. listen to that. I know. I have, um, so, many, I have so many hidden talents. Um, so. Yeah, there's not much going on here in Phoenix. On Twitter, what I'm noticing is this habit of people, um, they're like throwing random people under the bus for mm-hmm. like having ignorant opinions. But like most people have ignorant, like opinions are just sort of ignorant by design. Um, or they're like digging up, it's like people seem really determined to be mad right now, which is, I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just... Maybe I need to don't, check my privilege. Don't be mad. And get mad. Be glad. Don't, yeah. I mean, don't I, be I, mad. Be a dad. Don't be mad. Like, be rad. Like hundreds of millions of dollars are going into like, you know, broadcasting certain messages on whatever topic, whether, you know, whatever mm-hmm. hot button topic you want to talk about. So when somebody like says something profoundly stupid on that topic, you know, as judged by you, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe recognize that not everybody is 
invincible to propaganda and like don't like don't attack your neighbors for the, parroting positions that are being fed to them from above. I guess the, the same message as the movie. Catholic case for not falling for propaganda, Zach. Yeah, I mean, I always tell people you can find you always see. There's the famous picture of the Trumps and the Clintons laughing at that wedding. Yeah, it's like okay, well, if they they're can laughing have a good night straight game, at you, Zach. Well, I mean, but it's like if they can put aside their differences and be friends, why would the rest of us be fighting with each other over our stance about them? You know, I mean, it's it's dumb. Like, I'm never going to be mad at a family member over who they are or aren't voting for or supporting because, like, that's ridiculous. Right. You heard it here, folks. Plus, I mean, getting mad. Like. <laughs> Uh, how many weeks has it been since we did the I don't know. Joyful Mystery number two? I will effort that quick. We thought we would get back at it today and do episode. So, uh, we did the second Joyful Mystery on August 11th. So it has been about a month and a half. Nice. So we figured we'd continue. And after the second comes the third, Zach. So when we last, when we last left the rosary, Mary had been visited by an angel and then she went to visit her cousin this was very uh very big cliffhanger there was some good it was a good episode there was a lot of good stuff that happened a lot of good character development Mm -hmm. Um, but then it cut off there and uh we left and she was pregnant and we're like wow is she gonna is she gonna have this baby what's going on with this baby what's the you know a lot of questions surrounding the baby uh well, we pick off, uh, pick up the third joyful mystery. Zach is uh, the nativity, the nativity, the nativity. Yeah, so that I love the nativity. I think if when you love the nativity, isn't that called being a na- nativist? A nativist, sure. Oh no, that's something different. Okay, um, is that problematic? Do I have to nativist is like a? It's when you only like people like from where you're from. Like it's sort of like xenophobia. I don't really know if there's a technically a difference, but you always say like, "Oh, they're nativists and xenophobic." Anyway, mm-hmm. um, it's just a pun, folks. Just a pun. Having fun with puns. Fun, fun, fun with, with puns. puns. Third mystery: the nativity. Uh, it's a, a pretty good one, pretty big one. I would say I'm going to probably say that for all the mysteries, but it, that's because they all are pretty good ones and pretty big ones. Yes, but Jesus here, being born. A lot of here, songs about this one. Here we maybe deal. most. I think this one has the most songs written about it. The most, the most, mis- the most songs of any mystery are written about this one. I think that that's got to be true because there's not really a genre for, for like, you know, there's Christmas music, right? There's right. not like, uh, you know, presentation music or you <laughs> the know, coronation of the, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Queen of Heaven and Earth music. There should be I more wish. of those. I know. There certainly should be. Okay, so this is a chance. I really this like... This is exciting because it's about a baby. Like, who doesn't love babies? Okay, yeah. This is also one of my most favorite Zach Mabry things. Oh, no. What is, is your it? Li- is your, you're a little baby. Uh, True. No, so we will... Uh, one of the things we'll talk uh, we can maybe table this or we can just attack it right off the bat Zach and we've talked about it before I'm pretty sure but you know we're here again this is Christmas Zach what if I were to tell you that actually 
Jesus was not born on December 25th. What would you, how would you respond to that? How would you, what would you say to that? Um, yeah, I would say that's obviously a, a, this is a big thing. Yeah. People, people talk about this. They say that this certainly couldn't have been the case. Uh, I believe that like many arguments about things like this, people attack things like this in Catholicism because they can't attack the actual parts. So they pick weird battles, but continue. Yeah. I mean, so the, the general thing that people, you know, really smart people will say is they'll say, actually, you know, he was born in like April or some other time. Christmas in July. Sure. And like, you have to understand the function of those types of arguments. I mean, the main thing that it serves is this sort of idea that you had, you know, the life and death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then there was a sort of question mark period. And then a few hundred years later, uh, you know, Catholicism was invented by the Romans and eventually Christianity got on track, you know, with the Reformation and Martin Luther. Right. Like the idea is to sort of sever, um, you know, sever the kind of direct connection and like the historical fact that, you know, Jesus started the church and it existed and functioned from, you know, right then. Mm-hmm. Like the apostles were spreading the Catholic church. Right. Yeah, the question mark period is always hilarious to me, but continue. When it was some, one of those gotcha documentaries about like atheists and they were, they were polling all these Christians, just like generic Christians. I don't know if they were, yeah, you know, what, but when they tried to ask them, like they really didn't, they didn't know either. Like they really didn't understand. Like if you're like, well, where'd the Bible come from? They're mm-hmm. like, what? Uh... And then you tell them it was like 300 years later and they're like, well, that's weird. And you know, again, in their mind, <laughs> right. like it, it all was kind of so random because yeah. what they haven't been told and what they don't understand is that, you know, the church did have a visible structure. It had, authority it was very it was more hierarchical in the early days than it you know really became to be in time sure Um, the church was smaller and more compact like closer together like literal distance wise so like yeah but people can imagine this like egalitarian kumbaya thing and it's like well that that never existed like the apostles had this untouchable status among everybody and then their uh, you know successors as well like there was a, a very clear hierarchy and when they dig up even just the worship spaces it's also clear that again there was even a hierarchy in how everybody sat and where mm-hmm. people were it was right. it was never this tent revival well thing we were that people imagine obviously we were coming off of judaism which had very defined levels of authority and they're you know they had right they weren't starting from absolute scratch right so people you know only the high priest could enter a certain part and then people you know so yeah it's not this just didn't like develop as an idea overnight, of course. Exactly. So, so anyway, one of the big one of the big pieces of that, of course, is to sort of say, well, actually, there was a pagan holiday, and they just sort of invented Christmas there as a thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, if that happened, that would still be pretty valid. Like, it would make sense to want to celebrate at a time everyone's used to celebrating right right um but uh ultimately it's pretty easy to pinpoint from scripture that jesus was born you know basically december 25th becomes the obvious um 
obvious candidate for when it was. Um, the, you know, the first evidence is that that's when the church celebrates it. And, um, you know, it would be strange for the church to celebrate it on any day other than when it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how would they have known he was born then? Well, you know, the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, lived many years after the resurrection of Christ um, before her uh, assumption. And she could have said, well, I gave birth on December 25th, you know, told them when it was that she mm-hmm. had her baby. There were birthdays. Um, if you, the, the big line that won me over, I, and not say won me over, but like cemented it for me that you said is if you want to know the birthday of a child, ask their mother. Exactly. And they would have been able to do that cause there she was. Um, I don't really know what people think all these folks did after the, I mean, besides the fact that Acts of the Apostles is, shows a pretty strategic, um, you know, set of steps that were taken to establish and spread Catholicism. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, beyond that, you can kind of pinpoint um, different things by working off of John the Baptist's birth and con- uh, conception and all that kind of stuff. Uh, because it's foretold, We've I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, in Scripture it points out that St. Zachary is told that he'll have a son. How convenient. Right? Um, And based on what his role was at the temple, you can determine what time of year he would have been at the temple, which is where this took place. And then you can figure out, okay, well, when did the stories cross paths with the Holy Family? And you can, you know, work out your months that way, and that will also back you into, uh, you know, late December, December 25th. Um, So... The idea that it happened any other time, mm-hmm. I mean, really the only complication is just that calendars have changed. Like, you know, you move on to the Gregorian calendar, so, like, certain dates get jumbled in there, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole, it was this time or that time is entirely, like, when, like, oh, it was actually April or whatever, um, that really is them just guessing based on like, ignoring a whole huge set of facts and then zeroing in on, like, well, the weather, despite the fact that, you know, weather patterns aren't the same in you know Bethlehem as they are in Appalachia Mm -hmm. so you know the fact that like certain animals were outside doesn't mean oh this means it was April um so yeah I mean I think that's an important thing you know it's not necessarily the uh hill that you want to die on but um the most reasonable conclusion is that our Lord was born on December 25th or you know essentially December basically then yeah I mean but also like it seems a strange hill to die on on both sides like it the catholic faith does not crumble if the december 25th is not the actual birthday but was like a holiday to you know take over from the pagans that still does not like negate anything yeah i mean it it fits in with the whole set of kind of little things that don't individually seem like that big of a deal, but they add up to a sort of narrative about, you know, essentially Catholicism being a, a late arrival to mm-hmm. history. Um, Cause the other one of course is saying that we got the gospels out of order and that actually Mark was written before Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, but the church has always been pretty clear that they're in the order that they were written. And then also that actually they weren't written by the people who they claim they're written by and who the church has always thought they're written by. They were actually 
this or that. I mean, it's kind of this whole set of sort of trying to dislodge the religion from history so that then you can kind of start pushing a sort of different narrative. Right. Cause if and you, so that's why I do think it's important to assert that, well, no, we celebrate it this time of year because it happened this time of year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are the ones who would know that because our church goes back to this time period and you know, the Virgin Mary was a member of our church. And she told us when, you know, I mean, it, it's important, I think, to assert those things. Right. Um, she was, she was, she was alive during his ministry and after. So there was plenty of time for people to ask her questions or like talk to her, you know? Right. And you end up with this sort of lopsided response to these claims where one side's like, ha ha, he was actually born in April. You know, the church is It's a good month fake. to be born. But. And then the other side's like, well, actually, that doesn't even matter. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else is like, well, where do we land? So you always kind of want to stake your claim if you have one. Um, you know, I think, again, if, if one side is asserting things and believes that this is discrediting to the church and is convincing people that it is, I think responding with, and eh, that doesn't matter, is sort of uh, not yeah, it, helpful. Right. No, it that is a good point that you you shouldn't shrug off things like if people be, are being ridiculous you like obviously the if god is so powerful can he create a rock that he can't lift or whatever like that's all nonsense that you can shrug off but like if you have an, the ability to answer questions that even seem sort of silly but kind of you know the it's it's good to it's good to answer them and actually think through these things yeah definitely okay so and i mean like all sorts of things again you can't you can't just respond to every charge by surrendering and saying well actually that doesn't matter that doesn't matter that doesn't matter like if it didn't matter then this wouldn't be something that every christmas um they all start pushing and laughing about well yeah and if enough things related to the faith don't matter then you have to question how much the faith matters at all so yeah so um you know yeah you want to keep you know, stake your claim, folks. We've 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 got proof. We can rely on this. And um, you know, somewhere there's like actually like a meme. I mean, it's or it's small enough to be like a single photo that mm-hmm. has the different verses from scripture that help you back into the December twenty fifth date. So maybe we can find that. Again, not the most significant thing about this mystery, but it probably does help when you're meditating to realize you are meditating on like a real historical event that happened. It, yeah, it's also important. Uh, for haters to get wrecked, Zach. Yeah, got to keep them on their toes. Got to keep them on their toes. Okay, so that's not the most important thing about this mystery. What is the most important thing about this mystery? Um, that Christ. I guess was just born? That Jesus was born. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think one other sort of another maybe barrier to um like reflecting on this is sort of the way that the narrative has gotten um, digested in the popular mind mm-hmm. over the last several years mm-hmm. is that they kind of make it out to this really bleak thing. Like even in some of the more recent movies, it's like, like he was, he was in a damp, dark manger and like, yeah. They were like, rele- you know, relegated screaming there. in pain. Jordan's the midwife or Jordan. Sorry. Joseph is the midwife. And like, you the, know, Jesus the, comes out all covered in blood and stuff. And everybody was like, no, we don't have. Get out of here. You go to. You go over here, like really hostile. Yeah, I mean, like in reality, folks, 
sometimes you don't have room you know like it's a pretty like i don't think innkeepers weren't like mean to them or hostile it was literally they didn't have a room and it's not like they called ahead mm-hmm. so i don't know what you you know um it, that's always a weird thing where they're like try to make a whole moral lesson of that like it's not like the good samaritan where there is you know a, a lesson there like other than maybe i don't know like if they wanted to have a vacancy for joseph and mary they would have had to kick out some other family mm-hmm. so like if they had planned ahead and kept a vacancy then they would have turned someone else away. i mean how do they how folks folks um folks but realistically it was this very mystical event um the spiritual writers always talk about how the, the cave or the, um, the, uh, what stable? Yeah. Um, was, you know, f- filled with angels and it was a state of ecstasy. And, you know, the first, the big event that happens here is that, you know, Mary, the mother of God actually, you know, for the first, becomes the first person to ever lay eyes on the incarnate Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, her first action would have obviously been one of adoration. And, you know, her and Joseph would have, that would have been the first step would have been that. So I think a lot of depictions are great when they're kneeling at the manger or those things, um, you know, because they show that, again, I mean, these people are meeting God face to face. No one has ever done that before because mm-hmm. he didn't have a face until the, um, you know, until the Annunciation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's this very breathtakingly beautiful moment. It's not this weird back alley birth thing that people kind of go to these days do you think do you think that people think of it in terms of that because it just seems less sensational like it do you think that subconsciously we do that to make the story seem like more relatable or not as crazy as like yeah well it was fine and there were angels there and like everything was cool you know it, it seems like it seems like a little more relatable or less like less that you could be suspicious of it. If you were just like, yeah, it was like dark and damp and you know, like it was really like a struggle, man. Yeah. I don't, I honestly don't know why there's such a tendency to make it like lame and uncool. Yeah. Um, well, that can, you know, you can I think there's say a that strain a of thought of things, that thinks yeah. that that makes it more approachable or, like, relatable. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that everybody's looking for, like, relatability, you know. And what it was was this miraculous birth. I mean, it was, we know it was a painless birth because um, pain in childbirth is a consequence of original sin, which they, Mary was freed from. So the, you know, the movies where she's, you know, screaming in pain, like, that isn't her pain she experienced at the... Um, crucifixion not at the birth they say it's like it would be like light passing through a window right it was a miraculous birth mm-hmm. um in that sense so to the extent that there was like a midwife or whatever it would have been angels um you know it's probably worth pointing out that the relationship of mary and joseph was very pure um and he he wouldn't have been helping deliver jesus yeah he wouldn't have been in the in there he would have been outside right mm-hmm. um they you know they're i mean I, I don't know like you can just be blunt like they wouldn't have ever seen each other naked at any point in their lives mm-hmm. um and so that's a real big blow to the people who say that she had children after zach right i know but i mean again like their view is that she's just some random i mean again actually their view is that she's basically 
um, Mia Farrow's character from Rosemary's Baby mm-hmm. in that she had no idea any of this was happening. And after it was done, the idea was she was just normal again. Or <laughs> that was the idea was, oh, we just, you know, you just do this one thing that she, you don't even know about. She was tempor- temporarily possessed by a good spirit. Yeah, because like in that movie, the, you know, the, the plotting happens where they, you know, they think that after this, they'll be able to have their own babies and a normal life and this sort of deal with the devil they're making sets them up and she doesn't really understand it. I mean, if you really take a lot of the stuff people say about Mary to its logical conclusions, it's not that far off other than, I mean, this is obviously God and you know that, but the way that, you know, she kind of just gets taken advantage of unless the things that we say about Mary are true about, you know, her being the immaculate conception and the mother of God and, all these things that, you know, she was, she was bound up in the mystery and fully participating in it herself. Um, so yeah, I don't know where we got on this. Oh, basically just that again, we, we can't really forget the sort of uniqueness of the relationship between Mary and Joseph and just the, the level of modesty and purity and everything that our lady had. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, again, not, I think the big thing, we were talking about what's the most important thing. I think the most important thing here is that for the first time in human history, someone's able to to literally make eye contact with God. Yeah, like they're yeah able to that's look crazy. Look at someone else's face and their eyes, and that's God's face and God's eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's really nuts when you think about it. I mean, all of it's nuts when you think about it, but to be the first, they... I mean, it makes sense because they're, you know, the Mary's the birth mom and Joseph is the stepdad. But at the same time, like someone, someone had to be the first. Right. And so, you know, what you have at this point is fully now visible. The, the Holy Family as like a unit, um, you know, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, um, you know, there's sort of, there's a, sort of a completion of the Holy family at that point, because they're all born, you mm-hmm. know, like they're all there. Mm-hmm. Um, I always wonder if they like, I guess they wouldn't have spoken cause like babies don't have speech, mm-hmm. but it, it's not like, you know, God was still God mm-hmm. even as a baby. So, you know, it's not like he had to learn anything, but well, yeah, but the, the, the human nature of Christ had to take on everything. So that's where the learning came in. Right. Yeah. And also, I mean, there just isn't like the it's faculties for speech when you're first born, mm-hmm. but I mean, obviously you would have been possessed in possession of all knowledge being, you know, God. Um, so yeah, I mean, this thing happens. I, I really like the depiction the idea is that it was probably in a cave because that's what they basically did with stables is you sort of just grabbed a section of basically cave so that, you know, a couple of your walls were already built for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's it's humble. The animals are there as a sign of creation. Um, but in that humility is this, like, you know, profound beauty and, again, the the angels and all that kind of stuff. It It's not really a... A contradiction is sort of all bound up in that but a lot of times you do see people sort of strangle the life out of it um 
So you got to kind of keep both, you know. Sure. This big miraculous event, angels everywhere, bright lights. What about animals? Animals, they were there. Have you never looked at a nativity scene? Sure. But were they just like hanging out? Do you think like the animals knew? Are they bowing down in the presence of God? Uh, I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, at the end of the day, they're, you know, alive, and that was their creator. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, because there are saints that used to teach their horses to genuflect in front of them, for, like, when they, before the Eucharist. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was funny, because the first time I read it, it was like, he required, this. it was talking about the saint requiring his horse to, to kneel before the Eucharist, and I was like, he was giving his horse communion, but he just meant before as in like in the present. <laughs> Not in terms of time, in terms of space. Yeah. I mean, really all of creation would have reacted to the arrival of the creator in history. Um, hence, you know, you have the star and, you know, a lot of things happen in response to this. Mm-hmm. In response to this morbid event that took place in a, in a terrible cave. I mean, they do make it very depressing. It's like they never, and it's, I don't know if they think it's like they do this because it's a sign of happiness to come, but then like they never show that part. That's interesting. Oh, so you they're know, like, I mean, they're trying to like reflect how before Christ came to earth, everything was like, we were everything, you know, like we were waiting and like everyone was depressed and the life had not lived up to its fullness but then the baby Jesus comes and yeah, you would think you would think that they like that because then we're all, I get it. I mean, I don't agree with it, but I get the idea that like that not much is talked about before his ministry, but like really the depictions we get the most are you're right. Like the cave and then the crucifixion. So we're inundated with these events that are wildly significant in the course of history but they're always they're always shown to us as like less than happy right and you know you've got to kind of have room for that i mean you know the the way that you look at what happens at christmas is obviously god has now arrived on a basically a peace mission uh, among humanity which since the fall of man had rejected him basically viewed him as their enemy Christ and so he Christ now arrived on a peace mission and he needs help funding his mission so if you want <laughs> if you want to can text Christ to three of <laughs> um okay right but I mean it's it is this huge because it's this lapse that's happening and, and what will be accomplished in this is that you know humanity now has the ability you know everybody is a creature of God but um through being baptized you become more than a creature of god but a child of god um you know that's obviously not previously been available to anybody mm-hmm. um, but now it's something you can become a child of god just by getting baptized you know it doesn't even hurt um right. and you know this is all becoming possible as these things are unfolding so you know first god becomes a child and this you know begins his sort of participation in the full life of of man and so now you know, when you look at any baby, it's like, well, God was one of those before. And, you know, it shows people not to be afraid. He obviously could have just popped up as a full 
full grown man. Right. Um, but you know, he chose to. Yeah, that would have been, he, I mean, you know, I say this reverently, but it would have just kind of been weird to just appear on earth as a fully grown human. Like that would have, uh, I don't know. It, what do it seemed to me like it would have been weirder and worse for the, the actual mission to just appear like at, bad optics. Well, yeah, like this one, they grew up and they like, you could see the kid and they, you have the, I like the story of him talking in the temple and all this stuff. Like there's, it's a very good progression of when you see, when you see someone you're like, Oh, this kid's going to be somebody as opposed to like, look at this fellow we found. Right. He just kind of gets beamed down. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I think it also again shows that he, you know, wants to be family, you know, he become, he now has a family and he wants to be family with us. Um, and he wants to include us in his work. Um, you know, cause again, he didn't need to be born, but he obviously in order to be born, he did need a mother. So he, you know, invites someone to help with his mission. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that, that we use the title co-redemptrix is, or co-redeemer, um, you know, is again, that she was the first person that he asked to to be directly involved in his act of redemption. Right. Um, yeah, it's a very, it's like a, a very appropriate, but interesting use of co, right? Like she very much had her role and it's not, not saying she's on the level of God, but she, I mean, really it wouldn't have been possible without her. Yeah. I mean, it's weird though. Cause people say that's sort of like equating and it's like okay again when i tell people that i'm the host of the roman circus podcast and matt is the co-host like nobody thinks that makes us equal right (laughs) (laughs) just kidding uh lovely yeah one time i was having my bio put somewhere and they put zach mary is the host of the roman circus podcast Mm -hmm. and i was like i don't you can put a host or or co-host but like you can't put the host Mm. anyway um i was like i'm not trying to that had been really awkward at the in the cafeteria when we saw each yeah, other. Yeah, would have created problems at Roman Circus Industries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Trying to be the Beyonce we, of this we, this operation. We got, we're too busy making that product we sell to have any. Yes. To have any and, and the working on the blog and keeping Roman Circus blog with fresh content. I know it's so hard. It is. We, um, we should get around to paying our staff writers at some point. Uh, mm, yeah, true. So. In terms of length of staying in the dark and dreary and damp cave slash uh-huh. stable, so um, obviously the continuation is they're visited by the wise men and they're told not to return the same way that they came. Uh, do, does it give an indication about like how long they're in the stable for? Uh, I've never actually kind no. of thought about that, and I might totally be missing it. No, I mean I assume that like he so they're there space also inside opened up, you know. Well, they, yeah, they're there to accomplish. They have to go for the census, right? Yeah, which so, I have got to do my census. <laughs> nice, wow, very selfish. Uh, be Christ-like and do the the census. Um, but also, so they they are there for a reason so i'm sure joseph sorts that whole thing out and uh yeah they're long enough for the wise men to come give them some sweet sweet gold 
which you really should uh, expand your investor portfolio and buy some gold. Is va uh, as valuable yeah, now as it was in the year zero or three. Yeah, I would avoid. I wouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't invest in rocks if I were you guys. But <laughs> you know, not really my place to give investment advice. <laughs> Fair um, okay. I mean, I, I think that again, it's like everybody is pretty familiar with the Christmas story because it is, you know, continues to be the largest holiday. It is obviously overshadowed by um, Easter. No, by like kind of the commercialized oh, version of yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah. And people are like, well, Christmas is about family or it's about togetherness. And it's like, well, it's really about um, God getting born. But, uh, you know, as a downstream effect, is there's family and that kind of stuff. Um, but really anything other than the birth of Christ being the reason for the season is pretty uh jesus is superficial like i don't really think the that... season what's that jesus is the reason for the season exactly as they've all as they've said you've heard it once you've heard it a thousand times mm -hmm. um i don't really think it's any more beside the point to make it about presence than it is about family or whatever mm -hmm. you know it's like okay well all that stuff is sort of equally not the point yeah um, equally secondary to a but very, very secondary. Yeah, but I, I guess I would rather see those things continue because for at least a certain number of people, that'll kind of help lead them to the the meaning of Christmas. Mm -hmm. You know, like if everybody got over it and it wasn't the biggest gift-giving holiday and there wasn't the whole, uh, you know, Santa Claus thing and there wasn't all that stuff, I, you know, I think people who choose to dig deeper can and having it continue to be you know like the holiday of the year uh is a good thing so i wouldn't want to see it become something only for the like hardcore believers what i like sense. about like it needs to stay a popular holiday here <laughs> <laughs> here's hoping it'll be popular in 2020 and beyond they... right i mean really unless it becomes just an absolute explicit rejection of christ i don't necessarily my like i would i would rather it become all sorts of things that it not that aren't you know completely correct than for it to go away yeah it'd be interesting to see if i mean this is obviously pure speculation of what would happen if it just became an outright rejection yeah and i mean you see some of that obviously in like you know the black friday shopping mm -hmm. um and that kind of i mean that's pretty perverse but um, I don't know. Like today's Michaelmas, right? It is feast of Saint Michael. Um, you know, there's no even nobody even really knows that though, unless they like read Haley Stewart. I legitimately didn't know what that was until probably two years ago. Right, and and as someone as someone who's gone to Catholic school for forty five years and grew up Catholic, and and. Uh, got my card punched for all the Catholic sacraments sack. Uh-oh. You're setting up for a terrible take, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. If you mention the number of years you went to Catholic school, you're definitely going to say something, like, completely Idiotic. stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's a warning sign. Yeah. No, my point was I went to Catholic school for a long time and never heard about Miglemas, which is all, which is a bad take, but 
for a different reason. Right. And I mean, again, um, keep in mind if there were a bunch of culturally significant things happening around Michaelmas, like there is with Halloween, let's say, um, there would at least be that option to like look deeper mm-hmm. valentine's day saint patrick's day like you know 99 percent of people when it's christmas time aren't going to like look into it and what it means mm-hmm. uh, well maybe not as many on that one most people do know that christ is born like for right saint patrick's day i don't think a lot of people get past like the green beer and stuff mm-hmm. and valentine's day because you know, in the new calendar it's not saint valentine's day anymore even though uh that was like it's still culturally relevant crazy uh but, you know, there's that sort of invitation to actually look deeper and the folklore sort of at least keeps it on the radar. Yeah. So that's why with the Christmas stuff, I used to get really cranky about all of the, you know, Santa and reindeer and like that. Because I'm like, no, this is like obscuring what it's all about. Um, and then it kind of dawned on me that it, it also keeps it relevant, which isn't to say it's about status. It's about, you know are people just going to happen on the truth? And they're more likely to do that if it's, you know, if Christmas is still a day everybody has off work and, you know, if everybody knows that it's Christmas, uh, there's a chance that they'll look deeper. Mm. We don't have that with Michaelmas. Nobody knows it's Michaelmas. Right. Um, I told them on Twitter. And then obviously Haley Stewart is kind of how we all know about it to a certain extent. Right. It's fun. Um, It's nice that Catholics take, I mean, we should take everything seriously, but it's nice when people have their favorite feast days and favorite things because on Twitter, especially, you can you kind of are alerted to it and you learn about people's traditions and um, yeah, it's a, it really adds a whole nice element to the proceedings. Yeah, and I think a lot of families really do make an effort to celebrate more of the church's feast days, and I think that's cool. Um, you know, keeps it fun. What I right? what I like about this mystery is it's third, so it's jammed right in the middle, uh, which is cool because it it's a very obviously significant event, but there, and of course the rosary has an order to it, but it shows that like surrounding this amazing event are very important and uh, you know significant things as well like it you sure you get the birth of christ but before that there's the the annunciation and the meeting and after that there's the you know the presentation and the um finding like so it's it's while it's a mystery that very much should stand out and should be important it is also good to acknowledge that yes there are other things that are important that have had to happen to get us here and uh, there are important things coming off that it's not just like a, all right, it happened and that's the end of it. Yeah, I would definitely, uh, I think Mary totally knew what she was doing when she, uh, came up with the whole, the whole idea and gave it to St. Dominic. Um, cause right, you do hit, you know, the 15 kind of high points mm-hmm. of our, of, you know, the life of Christ and the liturgical year is sort of structured around that too. Obviously there's feast days for, um, the annunciation. I think that there's a feast day for the visitation. Sure. I don't know. So we could Google that. There's obviously Christmas. Um, the presentation happens on February 2nd. 
Um, I don't know if there's a priest for finding, if there's a feast day for finding in the temple. But anyway, you know, these, when you're, if you're praying the rosary daily, um, which I've been trying to, I'm on two days in a row now. Yeah. <laughs> New streak. Um, streak. You're like frequently reminded of these 15 events and, you know, like that each time you kind of find more insight and they become very ingrained into your thinking and, you know, you start to tie certain events, you know, when, when babies are born, you know, you think of the nativity. Um, How are babies born? You know, we won't get into that. You know? Um, But, you know, like when somebody loses a close family member, you start to think of the crucifixion and, you know, everybody kind of looking on helpless as Jesus, you know, their son or their friend or their teacher or whatever, um, you know, is being taken. There's all these different ways that your own life kind of gets bound up in it. Um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, you start to sort of it creates a rhythm. You start kind of breathing with the with the church on these things. Love it. Wouldn't you agree, Matt? Yeah, you're like still pretty much the cha- the rosary champ, right? Yeah. Uh, oh no. Yeah, you gotta do. Yeah, you gotta be known for something. Okay. Cool. I was like, oh no, are you about to say, eh, I gave that up. Yeah. Um, never heard of it. Never heard of it. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. I mean, again, there's tons and tons of stuff you can go deeper on with Christmas. And then there's obviously the, a lot of the um, saints who were, you know, ordained have Christmas, you know, sermons and stuff. So you can read, you know, what. Um, St. Alphonsus, you know, his sermons for this, Francis de Sales, um, you know, all of those guys, their, their Christmas sermons are generally uh, preserved in written form, so you can read them during the season to look for more insight. Um, you know, the, the Haydock Bible commentaries are online now, so you can find more about what, you know, the fathers and doctors of the church had to say about, uh, you know, these moments. But basically, it's way cooler than Hollywood depicts it now. Um, angels, ecstasies, uh, miracles, cool stuff. Love all those things. Yes. Saints of the Week, Zach. Two weeks in a row. Uh-oh. Who's, who we that. got? This is... All right, so I'm... I feel bad because I'm not, I I'm not gonna going to do her justice because she's great and there's a lot to be said about her. So we'll just cover okay. a few things. But it's Saint Therese of Lisieux, Saint Very nice. Therese of the Child Jesus and the Holy Face, the Little Flower, Virgin Nun, Mystic, and Doctor of the Church. She was born on January 2nd, 1873, and she died September 30th, 1894, at the age of 24, which uh, is not very old. She was beatified April 29th, 1923, and she was canonized May 17th, 1925, both by Pope Pius XI. One of the... King, the real MVP of the 20th century. A real, a real one. Uh, the thing with St. Therese is uh, we've seen pictures of her, which 
I know this is like disjointed thinking, but her living at the very end of the 1800s, almost into the 1900s and being canonized in 1925, like knowing that and seeing pictures of her, which means she was photographed, obviously, uh, I still have this idea in my head that she was like way like much before that 1700 1600 1500 like I don't know why I think that it's just I don't associate her with being so close in time to us mm-hmm. and I don't know what that says about me uh, well I mean I, it is interesting like I wonder is, is she was she one of the f- I mean she has to have been one of the first saints photographed right or how long have photo- photography been around? I would imagine so it and certainly the as far as doctors of the church it, um, yeah the only one the what like the only one photographed photographed right? yeah that does make sense she yeah she was the i mean she's saint alphonsus liguri is 1787 that's like the other doctor of the, the other most recent doctor of the church so wow so yeah, so she definitely is the only doctor of the church, current current known doctor of the church that's been photographed. Um, she, right. She, her feast day is October 3rd. She is the patron of missionaries of France, of Russia, of HIV slash AIDS sufferers, florists and gardeners, loss of parents, tuberculosis, the gardens of Vatican City, uh, some place in Alaska or just Alaska, I guess, which is fun. All right. Yeah. She is the only saint to have both of her parents canonized, a uh, married couple canonized together. So her parents, that does not make sense the way I said it. Uh, her parents are the only married couple to be canonized together by the church thus far. Thus far, there's some hope. Uh, there's some hope that uh, you know you could get that with Blessed Carl and Empress Zita. Mm-hmm. Um, some have even suggested uh, the um, the von Hildebrand. Uh, not weighing in on that, just saying that that's been something people have thrown out. But they will always be the first. The Saint Therese's parents, right? That happened in 2015, so that was pretty recent. And uh, yeah, it's fun because there is a Saint Therese church in Alhambra. And when the canonization happened, they celebrated it, and they had, like, a big banner celebrating the parish's namesake's parents. And um, Therese is a good reminder that holiness sort of transcends uh, a lot of the divisions that exist mm-hmm. because um, she's... I mean, like, if you look in trad circles, they love her. Right. But then outside trad circles, they love her. Yeah. And she was canonized by Pope Pius XI, but it was um, Paul VI who made her a doctor of the church. Mm-hmm. And, and Pope Francis you know, he's canonized viewed... her parents. What's that? Pope Francis canonized her parents. Right. And so you, know, you can kind of, And then Jacques Philippe, who's kind of the only um, living spiritual writer of any merit, mm-hmm. um, he you know, has done a lot of work kind of bringing her... Um, her sort of I don't know if you call them teachings but like her methods of prayer and meditation and those types of things you know expanding on them and making them available for people to study 
Um, and he's, I mean, even charismatics like him, um, he's also one that kind of bridges the gap and that a lot of trads really do think highly of him. And then he's also liked outside of those circles. But basically it sort of shows you that some of these very massive saints, even though she was, you know, young and you call her little Therese and stuff, there is a, a sort of transcendent element of the faith that even now when things seem so divided, yeah. certain figures you know, are recent and they aren't divisive. Yeah. Like a lot of the more recent saints have their detractors, but like she certainly does. Yeah. That's a good point. That's what helps about her being so close in time. In May of 1887, she approached her 63 year old father who was recovering from a small, small stroke while he sat in the garden one Sunday afternoon and told him that she wanted to celebrate the anniversary of her conversion by entering Carmel, Carmel before Christmas. Um, nice. They both broke down and cried, but Louis got... So she, he didn't have another stroke. What? She was like, Dad, are you sitting down? Yeah, are you sitting... <laughs> he, get, he got up, gently picked a little white flower root intact, and gave it to her, explaining the care with which God brought it into being and preserved it until that day. Trez later wrote, While I listened, I believed I was hearing my own story. To Trez, this flower seemed a symbol of herself destined to live in another so- soil. Trez renewed her attempts to join the to join the Carmelites, but the priest superior of the monastery monastery would not allow it on account of her youth. So she wanted to. Uh, she was kind of you know intent on joining. She was she would have been fourteen at the time. Um, nice. That's kind of young. And uh, I don't know what day she was allowed. There's a lot. Like I said, there's a lot on her. I'm pretty sure didn't she go to the Pope to get permission or something like on, that? Oh, on April 9th, 1888, she became a Carmelite postulant. Uh, nice. She did meet. She met Pope Leo the Thirteenth in November of 1887. Oh, they yeah. Uh, so she she approached the Pope knelt and asked him to allow her to enter at 15. The Pope said, well, my child do what the superiors decide. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Oh, wow. 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 What's that called? Crazy. What is that called? I want to say there's a word for, is that called obedience? Yeah. He said, well, well, my child do what the superiors decide. You will enter if it is God's will. And he blessed her. She refused to leave his feet, and the noble guard had to carry her out of the room. Very noble. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that. I mean, there's just, like I said, there's just so much. She, uh, yeah, I, I hope. Oh, one story, and I think I've told it before, is at St. Tris in Alhambra, uh, Father Philip, who is the, priest there was talking with me and a uh, friend of the show Leo and he was like walking us through some pictures of her and her family and talking a little bit about her and I, he said and it was so sweet he said you know she never had a dollhouse growing up I like to think of our church and our school here as her dollhouse and I was like oh that's great it's such a lovely image so yeah, St. Therese of Lisieux, pray for us, Zach. Pray for us, indeed. Anything else before we get out of here? Um, I don't think so. Okay, well, 
Thanks for listening, everybody. We will talk to you next week.